but it's, and it is one verse, and perhaps you could say it back to me. We want to see it in context. We're going to reference some of the passages around it as well to help us make sense of it. Um, so the Bible is, is a big book. It's complex in some ways, and it's simple in others. It's 66 different books written by lots of different author, authors over lots of different years. Uh, and there's lots of different verses, right? And there's lots of different points and even nuggets, you could say. But really, there, there, there is one big theme, and that theme actually could be, you could argue, is, is primarily or at least somewhat summarized in one of the shorter books called Ecclesiastes. If you're familiar with that book, uh, it's written by a guy named King Solomon. If you're familiar with Solomon, you know that he was uh, a man who, who rose to heights and levels of power, influence, fame, wealth um, that probably are unrivaled in history. And uh, and he writes this manifesto that we know as Ecclesiastes, and, and he starts the book by basically, this is me paraphrasing, but basically saying, I'm going to figure out what in the world life is about. Like, I'm going to figure out what's good to do in this life. And you know what? He, he's able to try to do that. Like, he has everything at his disposal, so he does it. He, he gains all the wisdom. The Lord granted his, him wisdom in, in this miraculous story of, of request. He asked for wisdom. The Lord gives it to him. He, he has more wisdom than anybody else. People come from all over to hear his wisdom and to be led by his wisdom. He has all of the power. He's the king of Israel. His kingdom expands and has expanded. It's, it's an impressive kingdom. He has all the power that you could want. He has all the wealth, all the property, all of the, the money and material possessions that anybody could ever fathom. He's got them. Like MTV Cribs would have to do several episodes to, to catch up. That's probably not a thing anymore, is it? That's okay. MTV needs to go to... Anyway, go away anyway. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, they would do lots and lots of episodes. Like, like anybody just look at, anyway. I, sometimes I drive by, like, people's garages. I'm like, I want to know what's in that six-car garage. Not that it's wrong that you have that. I just need to know what it is in there, right? This guy had chariots. Like, I mean, it's, anyway, impressive, impressive life. More than material possessions, he had all uh, of, of the people resources at his disposal, right? People to do whatever, serve him. Uh, treat him, all of the wife, like not just one wife, but like 700 plus wives, concubines, messy, it's family Sunday, I won't go any further, but it's, it's like pleasure, uh, food, whatever, entertainment, whatever he could dream of, he does it. And, and as he's doing it, as he is chronicling this in the book of Ecclesiastes, you could see his frustration grow because each time he tries to, to get life out of one of those things, what does he say? He says, it's vanity, it's vanity. He says it's like trying to grasp at, at, at the vapor, right? You could see it, but to try to hold it, there's no substance. It just slips right through your fingers. And, and it, over and over and over again, this theme is vanity. Vanity, or in the original language, hevel. Hevel, it all is hevel. And so after several chapters and lots and lots of experiments and attempts to, to fill the hole that is in him, to, to, to get the longing satisfied within him, he finally comes to this conclusion at the end of the book. He says this is the sum of the matter. Here's what life is all about, to know God and obey his commands. And for some of you, that feels like a letdown. You're like, oh, well, cool. really hoping for something better today, right? theme of the Bible that everybody throughout history has been searching for fulfillment because God has placed eternity in the heart of man. It says that Ecclesiastes 3.18, right? So they're longing for that, but they can't get it out of anything in that they're pursuing. It's like Broken wells, as Jeremiah says, right? You could put a little water in it, but it just won't hold. But even that book 
could be even more succinctly summarized in the verse that Malise just read for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And, and the context of the Beatitudes, it means they are the only ones who will be filled. Right? That, that's the whole idea of this Beatitudes is these are the, the people that will be happy or will be blessed. The people who have encountered the kingdom and have, their lives have been changed and these things are true about them. So people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is only found in one place. We'll get to that. It, it's God. Right? Augustine said it this way, that, that my soul is restless until it finds its rest in you, O Lord. We see C.S. Lewis, another famous passage. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So when Jesus comes to this passage, and um, he, he, it, it is a, a bit of a progression in the Beatitudes, and this marks a bit of a shift because the previous Beatitudes have sort of been about a negative or an emptying, if you will, right? So Jesus said, the ones who are gonna enter into the kingdom of God are the ones who first understand they have no righteousness of their own to enter into the kingdom of God, right? They have nothing to offer before a holy God that says, I should get in here. The only ones who are going to get in are the ones who realize I have no business, no ability, and no hope to get in here. Once you realize that, then you can be uh, changed by the gospel and, and accepted in. And, and then in that process, we learn to mourn and, and, and grieve over sin, right? Our own sin, personal sin, and the effects of the sin in the world, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's, they shall be the kingdom of God, right? And then blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? That we see the real problem in our own heart and in the world is sin, and we grieve that. And then last week we talked about meekness, Right? That, that as a result of these things, as a result of encountering Jesus and his kingdom, we become a people who are humble, a people who aren't imposing our will on the world, but are rather content with what we've been given, and we are a meek people. And for some, that's kind of all they've ever heard about Christianity, is that it's just a whole lot about denial, right? And let me, let me be clear, it is about self-denial. Some people haven't heard enough about that piece, right? They haven't been told that it's not about fulfillment and, and prosperity. It's about denying ourselves, right? Taking up our cross and following Jesus. So that is absolutely true. But, but the fullness of the gospel goes even further because yes, while it is a self-denial, right? Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you need to lay it down. And those who lay down their life will actually find it. So it's this paradoxical thing. But this beatitude marks the shift of, of an emptying process and now into being what? Filled. Right? That there's a positive. There's something we're actually pursuing and seeking. And so, yes, it is a self-denial. But it is not to no end. It is not that we deny, deny, deny and never get anything in return. It is actually that we deny what our, our inward-focused self, right, uh, I think it's Luther or Calvin, one of the two talks about sins, like, like our primary bent as people is we're bent back inward on ourselves, right? That, that we have, that's what's wrong with this world is we all have this inward bent back towards self-serving, self-preserving, self-satisfying, right? And so as, as that <clears throat> begins to be confronted by the kingdom of God, that then what we actually see is, yes, there is a denial, but it is a denial of the things that our self has, has, has generated as what will, 
what will be good for us is what the world pursues. Remember, these are distinctive things that mark us different than the world. We're not in pursuit of material possessions and things like, like the world. Rather, we deny those things in the sense that they won't bring us happiness, but we deny them not so that we can lose out on fun. I say this often, the Lord's not trying to steal from you. He's trying to lead you to life. So when we deny those things for the sake of the kingdom, we are actually picking up something even better, right? The kingdom of God is described by Jesus as something so rich, so good, that when someone stumbles on it, they're willing to give up everything immediately. Like they don't have to be persuaded. They don't have to be convinced. There's not a preacher standing there by the kingdom of God, the great pearl, the great chest, right? That says, hey, listen, you really should consider this. It's a really good deal, right? And if you just give up everything else that's fun in your life, then you can have this and you'll really enjoy it, I promise. It's not an infomercial. Jesus says, when, they, when someone finds the kingdom of God, they immediately, their hands are open and they say, must have this. And whatever it costs me, I'll lay it all down because I must have this. That's the kingdom of God. So Jesus is beginning to shift here. What does that look like? What are we, his people? What does that new appetite look like? Uh, we've been emptied of those old desires. We're, we're grieving the effects of sin. We're, we're mourning that, right? We realize we have nothing to offer God. We are meek and humble people, but now what do we turn ourselves in pursuit of? What does it look like for a Christian? And he's gonna, he's gonna show us here that it is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will actually be filled. Okay, so I wanna look at a couple different things. First of all, what, what, is, this, what is righteousness? Right? What, what, what is that? What is the righteousness that Jesus has in view here? Because there's a lot of layers to, to righteousness. It can mean different things in different contexts, even biblically. Right, but, and then secondly, why is it hunger and thirst? Right, why isn't it achieve? Why isn't it make a goal, right? So let's look at that just a little bit. So as we, as we first just look at what is this righteousness that we should be longing for? I wanna use the text to, to interpret the text. That's a good, just hermeneutical principle. If there's something is confusing in the Bible, and there will be something that is confusing if you're reading the Bible, right? And what you should do is not get really confused or start your own denomination off of one verse. It's a bad idea. Right? Instead, you should let that verse be interpreted by all the other verses, right? Because where something is unclear in one spot, the Lord will likely shine light on it through uh, study in other spots. And so let's look just a bit. What is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? He says later in the same sermon, and even in the same chapter, verse 20 of, of Matthew 5, he says that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, listen, if we're talking about just a religious checklist, these guys are varsity, pro level, they won't be exceeded. Nobody is, is getting drafted above these guys. These guys have the Pentateuch memorized, like they're next level religious people. They have kept the law to a T. But Jesus says, our righteousness needs to exceed theirs if we're gonna enter in the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is he saying there? It sounds like he's cranking it up even harder to a place where no one can achieve it, and in some sense he is, but if, if you, as you keep reading, and, and as we work through the rest of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount later, we're gonna see that in verses 21 through 26, he talks about that, that we must not be a people who, who just simply don't murder, but also a people who don't even sustain anger in our hearts toward our brothers, right? So it's not enough just to, murder, just to not kill, Jesus said. This is where he gets into, you've heard it said, but I tell you, you know these parts, right? You've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust after a woman in your heart because that's already the issue, right? You've heard it said not to murder, but not to even have anger, right? So he begins to walk us through these things. Verse 31, 32, it's not enough just to not be a people who divorce, but, but 
like we should surpass the righteousness of these people and make peace right with 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 people that we are in covenant commitments with and 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 we don't marry people who are not like that like our righteousness as Christians rises above that of the world's bare minimum what do i got to do to get this check mark verse 33 through 37 he says that not only should we keep our oaths but we should be the kind of people who don't even need to take oaths in order to be believed verse 38 through 42 he says not only should we poke out an eye because one of ours, or should we not poke out an eye because one of ours was poked out, but more, if someone slaps us, we should do what? Turn the other cheek and return good for evil. Verses 43 for 48, we should not only love our neighbor, but more, we should love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. So when Jesus is speaking of righteousness, he is not talking about a religious list of rules. He's not talking about uh, a perfect attendance at church or Sunday school or Bible study or those sorts of things. He, he is talking about a righteousness that supersedes that of those religious Pharisees. He's talking about a, a new ethic that's created by new desires in the heart of his people. And it is a, it's a personal righteousness. It, it, is, it is one that I, I think D.A. Carson would, uh, defines it this way. He says that... Um, what Jesus means by righteousness here is wholly doing the will of God from the heart. So it's wholly doing the will of God from the heart. So if you just think about the word righteousness, like it just means make things right, right? To do the right thing, right? So that should be us personally with the Lord. We should want to be right with the Lord. Now listen, this is beyond justification. That, that, there's, there's layers to righteousness, right? We should absolutely long to be justified before the Lord. But if we are in Christ Jesus, that is settled and done. We are seen as one, not as a sinner, but one is forgiven in Christ, and we are justified forever. But we should also want to, to have any sin re, re, that remains in our heart, we should want to put it to death, as we saw um, in Colossians, we, we, we fight, we put that to death. We have a longing for righteousness that leads us to fight sin and pursue holiness, right? So there's a personal aspect of that. But beyond that, there's also a corporate aspect of that. We should also be a people who are pursuing justice, right? We want things to be right in the world. We're not okay with, with the brokenness of our world. It should grieve us, right? The, the debates about racism and, 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 and junk and, and tension and, and, and all of that, that stuff that goes on, it should, it should grieve our hearts, Got a call last night at 2 a.m. about a 15-year-old boy, African-American. They needed to tell me that. Needed a home. I just, I, they needed to tell me that. They thought. Could, can we take him? I can't, right? I can't. It grieved my heart, right? Like I couldn't go back to sleep. I mean, is that kid's in a DCFS office somewhere. That, that, you know, it just translates. This is what that means. Out of his home for whatever reason. Maybe he's off the street. I don't know. But we, should, we as Christians, we hear that and we don't just move on. We, okay, Lord, man, we grieve. We mourn. And then we want to see it made right. We want to step in. We want to do something, right? When we see the brokenness of the world, we want to do something. Now, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, even the Beatitudes are going to get us more into that. So I'm going to leave that there. But there is absolutely a, a pursuit of righteousness that is beyond just personal holiness. But it should not be reduced to just some checklist or even reduced to just justification. It absolutely includes sanctification. We talk about this often, but just in case you're new, it's such good theology for us to remember that we, are, we have been saved, but we are also being saved, right? So when we meet Jesus, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're not sure, 
how your sin problem is going to be taken care of. And if you're here and you don't know you have a sin problem, let me just tell you, the Bible says you have a sin problem. And that that is what is creating this longing in your heart because you're made for a holy God. You're made to be in relationship with him. Right? David says in the Psalms that as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you. As we talked about earlier, Ecclesiastes 3.18 says that God, when he made us, put the eternity in the heart of man. There is this stirring, there is this longing within us. I attached a, a poem um, to your digital bulletin on the app. Uh, I'm not a big poetry guy, but, but Pastor Rusty left me with a book, and man, it's been really good when I challenged myself in there. But there's a guy named George Herbert who, who wrote a, a bunch of rich poems, but one of them's called The Pulley, and it's in your, your, your bulletin there. I'd encourage you to read it later. But he poetically describes and, and paints this picture of when God is creating us as people, he gives us this yes, this world of yes, this world to enjoy, but he withholds, when it comes to the thing that will bring rest or will bring ultimate peace, he says, no, no, we have to withhold that. We have to withhold that because they, they must only find that in me. They must only find that in our relationship with God. If he gives that to us in something else, then we would have no need for him. So this world is, is full of yes, and these are not bad things that we even pursue. But if we're looking to get life out of them, they will leave us empty-handed. It will slip right through our hands, crumble in our midst. Only, only the kingdom of God satisfies. Only the kingdom of God allows people to be filled. And so, if you're here, and that's you, right, your heart, you know that wherever you are, in whatever season, whatever position, whatever place you're in, it always seems the grass is greener, like on every, not just on one side, but like every other side that you look. Anybody been in a place like that? If that's you, right, if you're struggling like that, you need to know that, that no greener grass, no different circumstances are gonna fill the hole that is within you. It's gonna continue to long. And what we actually need as a people separated from our life source is somebody to come and, and, and take care of that separation, right? To restore what was lost. That we were made to be in relationship with a holy God. And the only way that that can happen is for a holy God to step into our mess and make a way. And Jesus did just that. Jesus stepped in to our our, our humanity, into history. He took on flesh. He was the son of God. There from the beginning, the one who created and spoke it all into existence. He takes on flesh. He becomes like us. He lives the life that we couldn't live. He, and then he dies the death that we were supposed to die in our place on the cross. And then he resurrects on the third day, bursting forth with power to be the firstborn of all creation that we would follow suit and join him in that rebirth so that we could be reunited with our holy God and once again be filled. Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. Remember, we said it's sandwiched in between these declarations of Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here. And, and as he brings the kingdom he is bringing fulfillment. He, sa he says, John 10, famous passage, right? I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Like that's the offer of our Jesus. He wants, to, he wants to fill us. He wants to give us life. But we only find it in him. So if you're here and you've never opened up your hands 
and let go of the things you've been pursuing and cried out to Jesus to save you a sinner, to have mercy upon your soul and trusted him as your savior, then you will never be filled. You will never be satisfied. In fact, you're headed toward an eternity of that angst and, pers- and, that, and that, that pain and that turmoil and that, that dissatisfaction is gonna get cranked up whenever you leave this world and go to the next. It's called hell and it will be an awful place that will always be a reminder of what's missing in your life that you will never ever be satisfied. But if you're here today, that doesn't have to be your fate because you have breath in your lungs and you're hearing the good news of Jesus that he has come to save you. He's come to save sinners like you and me. And if we cry out to him and ask him to forgive us and make him the Lord of our life, we turn from our sin and we trust in him, believing that he is indeed the Lord of all who paid for our sin and was raised from the dead then the Bible says you can be saved. You're born again. You have new life. You have the Holy Spirit deposited within you and that you will be filled. Because remember, these are not a list of things that we have to you know, accomplish in order to enter in the kingdom of heaven, right? These are descriptors, right? These are traits of God's people. He's talking to his people, the people who have trusted him. He says, this is what's true of you. So this is not something that we gotta, you know, figure out how to be meek and figure out how to be, you know, hungry and, and thirsty. Rather, it's something that, defines us and, and we need to lean into and, and let it be a, a mirror for us of, of, of how much we're like Jesus and, and what, what direction we need to move. But it's not something that we accomplish in order to get accepted into the kingdom. It's rather because we're accepted into the kingdom, these things become true of us. And we, as the kingdom of God, will be the only people who are truly blessed or happy. The whole world's pursuing happiness, right? It takes different forms, takes different paths. The world is pursuing and trying to get happiness, trying to wring it out of this earth. Material possessions, relationships, jobs, status, fill in the blank. Solomon said, it's vanity. Tried it. Been there. Right? I point out often, our celebrities point, like, they display this for us too, right? Because they're the people who have arrived in many ways, right, to, to the status, to the, to the place that the rest of the world is seeking, right? They, but they don't find it, right? We, the things our culture holds up as ultimate, the beauty, fame, money, clearly doesn't satisfy because those people who achieve or get all of it, they're still not happy. In fact, many of them are more miserable than us poor, ugly folk, right, with only like 45 social media followers. You imagine I'm sure there's others that have said this, and I, you've heard me, or said something like this, and you've heard me quote it before, but Jim Carrey, who seems to, I don't even want to make fun, he's, he's in a dark place, frankly, what it seems, but, but he, he says a really profound thing at one point in his career a few years ago. He says, I wish, I wish that everybody could just get everything they want. I wish they had the money to just get everything they want, because then they could see that it doesn't bring happiness. That's my paraphrase. I'm sure I butchered the quote, but the, the point is, is, what he's saying is it doesn't, for, I've been there, done that. He's got the checks. He's got the ability. And he says, it doesn't bring me happiness, right? It's, it, Jeremiah says, it's, it's a broken well, right? Jeremiah 2.12. Many pe- the, my people, he says, God's looking at his people, the people that he has blessed. And he says, they've, they've committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
Isaiah says in, verse, in chapter 55, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, eat what is good and delight yourselves in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. So we're gonna talk about hunger and thirst in just a minute, but we have to know what we're thirsting after because it doesn't say those who are hungry and thirsty for blessedness or those who are hungry and thirsty for happiness, does it? Because the teaching of the Bible is actually that happiness is not something to be sought after directly, but is actually something that comes as a result of something else. The promise is that they will be satisfied. It's not, they, they might be, not that they have a better chance than others, that they will be filled or satisfied. If you're desiring Christ and his righteousness to be restored to perfect fellowship with God, right? Remember, holy doing the, word, the, word, uh, the, the will of God from our heart, right? Not just checking off a list, but also our motives as he gets that later. Not just don't kill somebody, but also don't harbor anger. Don't just don't commit adultery, but also don't tolerate lust, right? So doing the will of God from a pure heart, if we're desiring that, then we will indeed get that thing which we desire. We will be filled. We have to make sure that what we're desiring is is, is righteousness, right? Not blessedness, not happiness, because if we get that twisted, then we're doomed to misery, right? C.S. Lewis, again, in another book, says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, then you'll get neither. Say that again. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you won't get either, right? That's a profound way of saying what Jesus said. Those who want to find their life, they need to lay it down. And they, there they'll find it, right? Those who seek to save their life, they'll lose it. So, that righteousness is a desire to see ourselves made into the image of God as fully and holy as possible. Right? That, that we long to have not just our sin forgiven, but any, any influence of it or any remnant of it in our life vanished. We want to be made more and more like Jesus. We, we long for it and we thirst for it. And that's why he uses the language of hunger and thirst, right? This, this language of appetites, right? God uses that as a, as a signpost. He uses hunger and thirst as signpost into a spiritual realm, into spiritual realities that we should be a people who are, are longing continually for this righteousness. And it's an interesting paradox because in some ways Jesus comes and says, I am living water, right? Whoever drinks of me won't thirst again, right? I'm the bread of life. Should, you know, partake of me and, and you won't be hungry again. But, but what he's saying is, is there's a perpetual, you know, feasting on him as the living water and the bread of life. It, it means that we won't have to look for anything else to satisfy our thirst again, right? That we will have found the ultimate thing. And so when he gives us this, this imagery of, of hunger and thirst, it, it helps us realize it's not this goal, right? It's not those who make it their goal to be righteous, right? Or those who kind of care about being righteous or, or hope that maybe one day they will attain to some righteousness, right? Maybe if I stumble upon it, that'd be okay, right? No, no, no. It's the people who are hungry and, and thirsty. Those are the people that are truly in the kingdom of God because they are the people longing for the things of God. 
so much of the Sermon on the Mount actually echoes a lot of Isaiah's writing in, in Isaiah 41. He says that when the poor and the needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on, on bare heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the, and the dry land springs of water. I'll put in the wilderness the cedar and the, and the myrtle and the olive, all these trees. He says, where, where there seems to be nothing to satisfy, where there seems to be no hope. This is reflective of the Exodus, right? Whenever they're, they're at the Red Sea and there's no way forward, God makes a way. When they get in the desert and there's nothing to drink, God gives them water. When they get in the desert and there's nothing to eat, he gives them manna from heaven, right? God fills his people who are longing for him. And, and he says that I will always do this. I will always make sure that they are filled. But Jesus in John chapter six, after he feeds the 5,000, then he's got this crowd that's following him. Like, oh man, I want to see more of this show. I want to get more of these meals. And then Jesus goes across. Like, Jesus doesn't try to milk that. It's interesting. Got these 5,000 plus people that, he, that he's just performed a miracle. Everybody's shocked. Everybody's talking about it. He could really take off in this moment, right? He could really use this as a, as a launching pad into his campaign for the, the throne of Israel or whatever he decided to do. But instead, he goes across the river to pray or goes across the, the sea. And, and when they chase him down, they, 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 they say to him in the midst of this, this context and this conversation in John chapter 6, he says, hey, what, what do we got to do to be doing the works of God? Like, what, what is it that we should be doing to, to be doing what God wants us to do? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then, then what sign do you do? Right? What, prove it. What sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work? This is a really funny question, given the context, but they asked it. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is a profound and really deep statement and an amazing interaction with these people. Because you know why? Because most of them leave. Can you imagine being told this? It's, it doesn't check out. Like, it's a little out there. They're like, okay, clearly you got something going on. How do we know you're the Messiah? Can you give us some, some proof? You know, when, when the Israelites were wondering who their God was, like, he gave them manna back in the, in the story of the Exodus. Bread from heaven. Bread is a symbol of filling, right? The symbol of sustaining life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Moses is not the one that gave the people bread of heaven. It's God who has sent me down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, okay, we want that then. Tell us where do we get that? And Jesus says, that's me. And he goes on to say, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you have no part in me. And everybody's like, we're out. We're out. I don't know what that means, dude, but I ain't eat, I'm not, not signing up for cannibalism. And he loses most of that crowd. 
And he looks at the disciples and says, y'all going to go too? And Peter goes, where, where are we going to go, Lord? Where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone know the way. And you see, in that moment, the crowd separates themselves and reveals who's truly a part of the kingdom because those who are part of the kingdom knows that even when we're confused by what Jesus is saying, he is the source of life and we stay with him. We stay with him. Peter says, I, nowhere else could we go. I don't know what you mean by eating of your body, Jesus, but, but we're here with you, we're in, because we got nothing else. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know how you respond to hunger, right? Thirst. Like, just think about that. The Lord is so kind to give us these physical pictures of our spiritual reality. Like we're, we're longing. Like the way that our stomach begins to growl. Uh, Thursday, I, Tim and, and his staff at Bueller Wellness were, were having a staff lunch. They invited me to hang with them. Like, hey, we're going to get food from a place at 1 o'clock. And I, listen, I don't eat lunch at 1 o'clock. I'm like an 11.30 kind of guy. So by the time 1 o'clock comes around, I'm real hungry. Like I was roaming the halls of the church like trying to find something to snack on because I'm hungry. My stomach's growling, right? That's my stomach saying, hey, you, you've usually had food by this point, right? Like it's a natural, you know, and when I'm thirsty, like, right, like you start to feel that. Your body feels that, right? And you think about somebody who's in pain. Like our body has these indicators for us, right? You think about somebody who's in pain. And maybe they're in pain because of a terminal disease, right? And they go to the doctor. What are they thinking? Well, one thing they're going to think, they're, they're thinking is I want the pain to stop, right? And that, that makes sense. Like, I'm with him. I'm, like, I want the pain to stop. But if he's a good doctor or she's a good doctor, the doctor has to be more worried about more than just stopping the pain, right? The doctor has to be also worried about treating the disease. Right? Because we can mask the pain. And give them, we can give them some pills, I, mean, I broke my arm when I was like 12, I think. I was trying to show off some girls around the four-wheeler, jumped too far, snapped my wrist. Tried to be cool, drive back home with one hand. I did, but the wrist was broke. I told my mom. She didn't believe me. My mom took me to the doctor for everything, but that day she was like, I don't think you're, you're not telling the truth. But anyway, it was. It was broke, and it was just out of joint, right, right there, snapped off. Like, not out of the skin, but the x-ray, you could see it. And it hurt. Like, it was just the throbbing pain. Right? And so it's a Saturday. So they're like, hey, you're swollen really bad. We can't cast it till Monday. Why don't you just come back and we'll set it and cast it on Monday? Okay, that sounds terrible, but here's some pills, right? So they give me some pills to, to go home so it doesn't hurt as bad. So that night it's, it's hurting, right? And while I'm sleeping, it's hurting. I have to hold it a certain way. I don't sleep much. Well, the next day, about mid afternoon on Sunday, I was talking on the phone to said girl that I was trying to impress, and I was holding a phone in one hand. Is it like a phone with a cord, kids? You ask your parents about it, and watch the video. Uh, and, and I went to get up off the couch, and I forgot that this hand was broken, and I pushed up off the couch. And it was like, pop! And I was like, oh, like that did not feel good. And I like, you know, just walked around and fussed for a minute, did the, oh, you know, jump up and down and put the phone, you know, she's like, what is wrong? I'm like, it's, it's I don't know, I just hurt my, anyway, like I forgot that it hurt. But you know what? That night it didn't hurt as bad. And the next day I'm at the doctor and I'm like, it feels okay actually. And he starts feeling around, looking around. Let me take another x-ray. I'd set my own bone. <laughs> but 
And it felt better. Now, it still had some healing to do, right? But it felt better being back in, in its spot. So we can mask that, right? We can take some pills. And we can make, make the pain kind of go away. But we got to... We got to deal with the source of the issue, right? We got to deal with the pain. And, and, and some of us are pursuing mask, right? We're trying to fill this aching within us with something, trying to get it out of this world. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got to let me deal with the actual issue. You've got to let me set the broken bone. You've got to let me restore what's out of place. There's something out of place. Your heart belongs in the presence of a living God, and it's out of place. Let me, let me restore that. And it was painful. His own body was broken in the process. His blood was poured out in the process. He gave his life in the process to, to, to set the brokenness of our hearts back in place where it belonged. He let his own life be beaten out of him. Come to me, he said. Come to me. I'm the only source of true happiness. I'm the only well that holds living water. I'm the only source of fulfillment. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, if you don't trust in me, there will be no satisfaction. But if you do, you, if you do, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. John Piper, who I quote all the time, this mark of, of his ministry is that he says he's a Christian hedonist. Hedonism is a dirty word in a lot of churches, right? Because it's just this pursuit of happiness at whatever cost, right? He says, listen, it's not wrong to pursue happiness. We just need to get the, get, the, get the thing aiming in the right direction. He says, we should totally pursue happiness in Jesus, in God. Like God is the gift of the gospel. It's not just that we get heaven and some streets of gold and stuff. No, no, God is the gift of the gospel. That we pursue him. That's, that's our gift. That's our satisfaction. But if we pursue happiness and hope that he's just going to get us there, right? If, you, if that's you, you're here just hoping that what you really want is to not feel the pain. What you really want is to have some happiness. And you're hoping that church and religion and Jesus stuff can, can get you there. And you're going to end up miserable. You're going to end up let down, and you'll walk away someday. But if you will let your heart be changed, if you'll surrender to Jesus, he will change your heart in such a way that what you'll actually long for won't be blessedness or happiness. You'll long for righteousness. And as you pursue that righteousness, as you pursue to become more and more like Jesus, it turns out you'll actually be blessed. You'll be happy. Both now, you'll have a contentment, you'll have a, a fulfillment that is within you now that will one day be fully culminated, fully celebrated, and fully realized when he comes back. Again, this, this, the kingdom is already, but not yet. We get glimpses of it, we get portions of it, but one day it'll be fully realized when we sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb and we see all things put right, we see justice doled out across the board, we see righteousness fully restored, we will be satisfied. There will be a day when our hearts do not long the way they long. There will be a, a day when our hearts don't hurt the way they hurt. Our hunger will be satisfied. We will be filled. So, as we reflect on this, could it be that, that one of the, the reasons the grass is always greener everywhere you look is that your life is not devoted to the central pursuit of, of righteousness, but it's devoted to the pursuit of other things? 
It's not that you've considered righteousness a bad thing, right? Most of you are like, yeah, I want to be righteous, right? But if you've not channeled your life to make that the central pursuit, then let us consider like, what effect that's having on our hearts and our walk. Let us think about like, what is the regularity and perseverance that, of strong urges that we pursue food and drink every day, right? Like, it doesn't take me long to realize I need to make a plan for lunch, right? Or for dinner, like, I, 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 we, we, we will figure that out. Those urges come up and we will find a way to get them met. And so let us make it our prayer that we will, will hunger and thirst in the same way to pursue and establish righteousness in our own life. Let's, cl- let's close with communion. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, get those elements out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, what you need to do today is become a follower of Jesus. Cry out to him, as I described earlier. Confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior and ask him to be that savior and he will gladly save you today. Get your communion out. I want you to think about it with me. I want you to hold that bread in your hands, that that wafer, whatever, whatever, representative of the bread is there. I want you to hold it in your hands and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about what do you hunger for? What is your heart just default to dreaming about and thinking that you need? What are you frustrated that you don't have? What's your spiritual hunger? What, is it, what has it been? I just want you to confess that to Jesus. Confess that to Jesus and then hear him say, hey child, take and eat. Take and eat. I'm the bread of life. Nowhere else will you find fulfillment. Nowhere else will you be satisfied. Take and eat and here you'll be filled. Take the cup and I want you to reflect on the thirst and what what. What comes up in you regularly? What are you pursuing? What, what, we, we describe people as thirsty often, right? Athletes, maybe people who haven't arrived yet, they're thirsty for a title, they're, they're thirsty for this, this person's thirsty for promotion, so they, they work hard, they try hard, they strive, right? What are you thirsty for? Jesus said, here's the living water. It's me, it's me. And this cup represents my blood. Take and drink. God, help us. Help us to rightly see our need wherever we are. If we're not a part of your kingdom, Lord, would you, would you give those, those people who are here who don't know you as Savior, would you give them faith today to come and run to you to be saved? For those of us, Lord, that have walked with you for years and we've gotten complacent, We've gotten content with our spiritual walk. We, we no longer sense the, the hunger and thirst or your presence. Lord, would you restore unto us the joy of your salvation? Would you meet with us here in this place and cause us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness? We can't generate that on our own, Lord. We're at your mercy. we cry out for it and we ask for it in your name. Amen.